Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sean Smith. We're going to have a special edition of the podcast today. So the thing that I'm looking to do, especially now that it's the offseason and moving into spring football practice and the spring game here in a week or so, going to start putting some guest episodes together. And we're still stuck on what happened to Kentucky and its loss to St. Peter's in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. There's still a lot of questions. There's still a lot of talk about John Calipari. Should he change his offensive approach, especially the late grounded out segments of games where he kind of eats into that shot clock and then Kentucky's forced to rely on a guard to break things down and make a play. So I'm going to have Sean Vinsel of HoopsInsight.com on the podcast today to talk about that. He's very good at the analytics side, at diving into the numbers, and it's, it's honestly more than numbers. It's breakdowns of what happens late in games and what happens for the first 30 minutes. So if you follow Sean, he can you can follow him on Twitter at Hoops Insight. Really, really good Twitter threads. Really, really good content on his website as well that kind of breaks down what happens, whether it's good or bad, for Kentucky and some other teams around college basketball. So Sean's going to come on and discuss Calipari's late-game situations, especially the final seven to nine games. I know he put up a tweet earlier about – you take out the two losses to Tennessee and then Kentucky had leads in the other seven games down the stretch that they just weren't able to hold on to in some of those, uh, spe- specifically, you know, losses at Arkansas, the the loss there to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this was a team that really didn't close games out very well. Even the games where they had comfortable leads, there were some issues with full court pressure and, I know when their two guards were out, you could obviously you could you could rely on that and say, okay, these guys were out. So Keon and others struggled with pressure against LSU and, and in other late game situations. But not just that, it was when they were at full strength, they still struggled to put teams away late in games and grind it out. And but they looked so comfortable. I remember the game in Nashville, which this was a lot to me, where John Calipari took out Oscar, took out Ty Ty and others when they had that big lead on Vandy. And then Vandy closes the game with a run, but then they substitute and put those guys back in the game, and they couldn't reestablish that rhythm and that chemistry. This felt like a roster that was so reliant on being in rhythm, and and that's a lot of teams in sports. Like, there has to be rhythm, but it felt like that this team really needed rhythm to be established, and once it was, they were very, very good, whether that was in rhythm in games, whether you're playing fast for 25 to 30, and then you just halt that rhythm yourself by slowing it down, or you're playing well and then you have an injury, set you back, start playing well again. Here comes another injury, set you back for a game or two. This felt like a team that benefited and needed rhythm more than any other team that I remember, honestly, under John Calipari. So we're going to have Sean on to discuss all that. And I highly encourage you to follow him on Twitter at Hoops Insight. Check out his work. Uh, going to have him back on once Kentucky's 2022-23 roster is set sometime throughout the spring last summer. It was July before we really knew what the roster looked like. I think it'll be sooner than that this year, obviously, uh, with the NBA draft and everything scheduled where it's supposed to be, the transfer portal. There are names going into the portal now. We know reports of Kentucky reaching out to a couple guys. I'm going to talk about that on a different episode and then kind of recap uh, Dante Allen, obviously, entering the transfer portal. And I'm going to keep you up to date on everything that's happening, happening with the Kentucky basketball roster. Uh, but we're, before we get into that interview with Sean, I have to remind you that this episode, it's always powered by Blue Wire Pods, and it's always powered by the Butcher's Pub with three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com 
or check them out on Facebook. But let's hop right into that interview with Sean Vinsel of HoopsInsight.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now joining us on Kentucky Daily is Sean Vinsel of HoopsInsight.com. Sean, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me today. Sean, the biggest thing that everybody's trying to figure out right now, and it's been a week since Kentucky, a little bit more than a week since Kentucky lost that first-round game to St. Peter's, but your Twitter threads and your website, everything that you've been doing, you've been diving into numbers of exactly what went wrong for Kentucky down the stretch, a team that looked like one of the best teams in the country for five or six weeks there midseason. Sean, let's just start there. Like, what do you think went wrong with this team that led to a first-round exit? Sure. I mean, that's a great question, obviously. I think everybody wants a good answer to that. The, the first thing I would say that, that you can't overlook is the fact that Kentucky did have injuries to, to uh, both Wheeler and Washington. They missed games. I'm sure there was some fatigue aspect there that that – it really wore out with Brady and Mintz and probably Oscar a little bit, just being relied on more, playing heavier minutes. And all the games down the stretch pretty much were uh, were competitive games against really good teams. So uh, obviously there's something there. It's difficult to quantify. And you can see that some things happen there, you know, game by game. The second thing is just very clearly Kentucky did not play well against Tennessee, but the issue was really shooting. So I'll, I'll separate the Tennessee games, the two Tennessee losses, because those were both issues of really Kentucky got outshot. They got outshot from every part of the floor over those two games, especially from three-point range. So that's bad luck. Kentucky did a lot of good things against Tennessee. They limited turnovers. So that they played well enough outside of the shooting to probably win at least one of those games. So they're okay. But in the games that weren't against Tennessee, there was a pretty common theme. And it's that after about the 30-minute mark, Kentucky would fall apart. And again, this could be due to fatigue, you know, the, players uh, having a lot more minutes, but it happened game after game, where if, if you just separate the first 30 minutes, Kentucky was playing as well as they really had all year, other than the two Tennessee losses. Kentucky had a lead at the 10, you know, with 10 minutes remaining in every one of those games. And then they proceeded to lose the final 10 minutes plus regulation, yeah, plus overtime, sorry, in every one of those games. And the thing that stood out to me throughout the entire year, and I, I kept saying it on this show, is we watched Kentucky, you know, dominate Kansas, blow them out. We watched them blow out Tennessee at Rupp Arena. There, there were other games that they led comfortably throughout. But when it comes to beating teams in close games, I felt that was where we didn't really see them do that against good basketball teams. How ultimately did you think that that hurt them in postseason play too? I felt like that was the one thing that was kind of missing from the entire year. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That um, 
And it's actually something that I probably minimized too much during the season because I was blinded a little bit by these big blowout wins and saying, look, you know, if, if Kentucky can beat teams by 20, like I'm less concerned if they can beat teams by three. But down the stretch, you started to see some issues. I think two areas that really bothered me down the stretch were Kentucky's transition defense was really pretty bad in several of these games. And it was even bad in some of the, the early game stretches where Kentucky was still building leads. And it was really the one weakness you'd see after a defensive rebound or after a steal. Kentucky was giving up scores at a really high rate. They were leaving three-point shooters open. Uh, there were actually a lot of times when Oscar was not getting down the court as fast as maybe the other the other team's bigs, and they were giving up some easy baskets. And this then late in games became a bigger problem because of the fact that Kentucky started tweaking their offense a little bit, going to the Calipari kind of um, run shot clock down, let the guards kind of take mid-range shots and create. Well, that led to more missed shots. Uh, Kentucky was getting fewer offensive rebounds there. And then Kentucky also was turning the ball over a lot. And so you just had more of those transition opportunities. And that weakness in defending those really showed up. Um, Kentucky did, you know, shore that up in a couple games. I think, you know, against Florida, for example, in the uh, the regular season finale, Kentucky actually did a good job after it was clear that I think the coaching staff had identified that was a weakness. But it wasn't something Kentucky could consistently do. Again, that may be some fatigue um, at, you know, with the minutes being played there. But the other factor beyond the transition defense was just Kentucky's offensive approach, as I mentioned. Kentucky changed their offensive approach totally down the stretch of games, as Calipari likes to do. You know, he'd run the, some of those, you know, those kind of high pick and roll sets or high kind of limited movement sets and let Wheeler or Washington create. This turned into more often than not mid-range jumpers for those guys, and that put a lot of pressure on them, whereas other guys like Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, even Oscar Chibway weren't utilized late as much as they were early on. Um, I think that led to Kentucky having a less effective offense than the other team uh, by just taking more time on the shot clock. But then also, I think there may be some psychological effect if players aren't getting the ball and are being used the same way in the offense as they were early in the game, they may not be giving as much of an effort on defense or may feel a little checked out. So this is something that even before that last stretch was a problem for Kentucky. You saw you know, earlier this evening, losses to Auburn and LSU, you saw some poor league game performances, but down the stretch against great teams that were going to be close games, Kentucky couldn't overcome that. And I, th I think that was the big weakness they had going into the NCAA tournament that in hindsight should have been a clue that Kentucky maybe was going to struggle in close games more yeah. than and, and you mentioned, you know, John Calipari being that guy that likes to grind out games in the final four or five minutes and, and work the shot clock. And how much do you think it hurt, though, that this year all those guys had moments? We know what Tata Washington did before the injuries. We saw what Oscar did all year. And, you know, Kellen had his moments. But do you ever think that they really identified who they were going to play through in those moments? Because it kind of felt like a point that they didn't really know in those close games. Like, who is the guy that we go to here? I think it was supposed to be tie-tie, but then you mentioned a lot of those uh, those shots and those shooting percentage and stuff, it dropped after the injuries. And I don't, I don't know if they real, really ever identified who their, who their closer was in those moments, especially late in the year. Right, yeah, I, I absolutely think the plan was probably for it to be tie-tie. I mean, tie-tie kind of fits the profile of a guard who can you know, create some shots off the dribble, decent enough size, at least good strength, and comfortable shooting in mid-range. That's what Kentucky's late game offense is. It's guards creating in mid-range shots. Um, unfortunately, with Ty Ty's injury, which probably compromised him, but then also Wheeler's injury and just Wheeler's lack of size, you ended up with two guys who mostly were trying to 
create late because they had the ball in their hands. It didn't look good. And then I think when the injuries hit, Kentucky wasn't able to change the offensive approach at the end of game to, to shift to something that would have been more effective. It was, you know, a little bit of you kind of, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword a little bit there. And I, I just, I, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence that even before the injuries, Washington and Wheeler were really all that effective were the guys that you really should be playing through in terms of isolation um, late in games. I think Kentucky would have been better off using some of the stuff that was really good for them earlier in games, which was transition, um, some you know, quick hitters or cutting uh, cuts with Brooks and Toppin and uh, Oscar. A lot of those things went away late in games. And I, I don't think Kentucky ever felt settled at the end of the game this year. Yeah, and one topic I want to talk to you about is Xavier Wheeler. Obviously, when, when you go 9-16 and 16 and then you come back and you have a first-round loss to St. Peter's, a 15th seed, John Calipari's kind of at will here to do whatever he wants with his roster, Sean. And I know Wheeler was a guy that down the stretch got a lot of criticism from fans. Obviously, his inability to shoot the ball and, and then the turnover showed up late. I still think that the reason he struggled so much at the end of the year is because Kellen Grady, Davion Mintz, and these other guards weren't making shots. And when that's not happening – it kind of limits what Sabir can do at getting to the rim and stuff. So I'll ask you this, like, do you see a place for Wheeler on this roster next year? And if he is, what does John Calipari have to do to put around him for that to work? Because it worked for the majority of the season. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'll say I'm, I'm probably higher on Severe Wheeler than most of the, uh, most of the fan bases right now. Um, I, I know he can't shoot very well, but – I think you can make that work because Severe Wheeler is very good at a couple of things. One, he's very good at pushing the ball in transition. And Kentucky had a very solid transition attack much of the year. Uh, in fact, that was a lot of the reason why kind of through the first 30 minutes of games, Kentucky was building up leads as they were really effective there. And I, I think he is better at that than other um, than a lot of other guards. I think also he he was very good at Georgia at this, even though they didn't have a lot of wins or shooters, but He's very good at getting the ball out to shooters in, uh, in good spots. Um, I think Kentucky needs to run more of that spread offense really for him, you know, maybe a high pick and roll with a guy like Oscar, a guy like Damian Collins who can roll a little bit, but you've got to really spread the floor for shooters and focus on moving the ball around the perimeter because Severe Wheeler can, he can do some real damage. Now where he's always going to struggle is when he's playing against guards that are a little bit bigger than him. Yeah. but who can stick with him defensively. You know, he, he, he doesn't have that mid-range game. He's got to either get to the rim or he's got to make that pass. I, I just question where Kentucky's going to really get a massive upgrade next year. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the thing I'm looking at right now. Obviously, they're waiting on what happens with Shaden Sharp. They're waiting on what happens with Oscar Sheboy. There's, a, there's always a waiting game, but it kind of feels a little bit different right now because, to me, those two decisions significantly impact what they look like a year from now, and then where they go on the portal. So I'll ask you this. John Calipari, a lot of talk, obviously, is should he change his philosophy and his offensive approach and things like that and the, the grinded out late in games, and they really weren't built to do that. So I'll ask you, I, I know Cal is a guy that we know is stubborn. He's set in his ways a lot of times. But what is the happy medium, Sean, that he doesn't entirely change the things that he likes to do? Like Because a lot of the stuff that he does I think is very good. So what is the happy medium you think next year that some adjustments that he should make? Is it playing four guards together at times? Is it going entirely away from the two bigs? Is it the mid-range jumpers that need to be eliminated? What do you think is the happy medium for John Calipari? 
Yeah, I, I think the, the two thing, two things you mentioned there, uh, getting away from, from two bigs, playing one pure big who can handle a lot of the rebounding. I think Oscar was a perfect fit for that year, this year, and I was surprised Kentucky didn't go to more spread offensive stuff because Oscar could do a lot of that. But then also, you've got to reduce the number of mid-range jumpers. I know Calipari talks about, you know, you don't want to rely on the three-pointer, but Kentucky, to a large extent, relies on mid-range jumpers. Uh, and mid-range jumpers are worth two points versus worth threes or worth three points. Uh, Kentucky every year is near the top of the country in terms of the percentage of their shots coming from mid-range. And they're usually very low in terms of the percentage of those shots that actually go in. They've got to get away from that. And a lot of that is the late game approach. Um, I, I think Kentucky needs to be more adaptable to what their roster has. This year, they did not have that, that athletic wonder guard who could kind of get to the rim. You had Tyrese Maxey, De'Aaron Fox, or Malik Monk who could really score in isolation late in games. Even a, a guy that I think is massively underrated, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, was one of the best isolation scorers in the country his sophomore year at Kentucky. That's the type of player you need who can just create late game. They didn't have that and their offense wasn't built. So I think if you look at the coaches who are having success in the tournament right now, a lot of them have been able to adapt to what their roster has. And I think Kentucky needs to do that while also just reducing the mid-range dependency because it's just not effective offense. Sean, great stuff from you. I've really enjoyed following your your Twitter threads, your, your site, and everything. So just take a moment here and tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can follow you on social media. Sure thing, sure thing. They can go to uh, hoopsinside.com. Um, if you go there, you can get links to I've got a newsletter in Kentucky. I've also got one on Louisville. I've also got a uh, stats engine you can go to where you can see lineup data, game-by-game stuff. You can kind of play around with that. That's where a lot of the data that I quote comes from. So hoopsinsight.com is where you can find my work. And then I'm on Twitter at hoopsinsight. I uh, post all the time, a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And I, I love hearing from people who maybe sometimes disagree with what I say. And I learn a lot on there. So would love to hear from people if they've uh, got something to say. Good stuff from you. He's Sean Vinsel. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 